Hello everyone and thank you for joining in again. This is the fifth of the Fireside Chat series that uh, Intel's doing at Frost & Sullivan. Thank you Ricky again for joining on us for uh, another interesting session. Earlier, uh, we talked about the importance and the imperative of edge. And uh, we've also saved the best for the last, as you know, we're speaking with Jonathan Lewis in the next uh, Fireside Chat on um, the importance of uh, data analytics um, and how that's, that's being framed up for the energy and industrial markets. Uh, for today's session, Ricky, uh, I think it's a topic that's very close to your heart and uh, you're very passionate about. Uh, so we'll be talking about data analytics in the construct of open and secure communication standards. And as you know, Ricky, the world of energy and industrial is swimming in volumes of data and uh, they haven't really captured this much volume of data before and they also don't know what to do with the amount of uh, data that they have captured now so with the with the overarching digital trends are like 5g edge industrial internet of things edge analytics open standards open communication data sovereignty and data privacy uh, we're really seeing uh, companies uh, having a new refresh cycle on that technology landscape. And at the same point of time, we're also seeing an additional trend of the industrial metaverse being built out. And there are some initial notions that you and I have seen in the market space as of now. And we're also seeing customers playing in that world where large automotive companies are building digital replicas of their factories so like we've heard about digital avatars, now we're hear hearing about digital replicas of complete factories end-to-end -end built on one common data thread backbone. Uh, so that's that's an interesting way to think about it. So like the earlier Fireside chat that we did, Ricky, with you, we talked about should there be a new operating model that's centered around digital for companies to pursue? That's really the construct of this discussion. And I would love, love to hear your thoughts on uh, the first question, which is, um, let's take a step back, Ricky. Sure. Prior to 4IR, or the fourth industrial revolution, which happened, uh, which, which is happening as we speak, um, and, and post-pandemic also, the 4IR revolution is really on steroids. Let's take a step back and let's, take, let's rewind ourselves a little bit behind. And could you unpack the main challenges that customers were facing before, or really, you know, the main challenges that customers are facing today. That might be a better <laughs> statement. Um, so please go ahead, Ricky. No, I, I think, you know, I was just going to say, Ram, I mean, yeah, you know, the fourth industrial revolution, yeah, it's well underway. It's accelerating, no doubt about that. The impacts of COVID, the impacts of global supply chains, geopolitical issues, the changing manufacturing, and the way that companies want to do things going forward. And we're talking a little bit about going forward, but really predominantly it's where we are today and a little bit maybe of the past in terms of where, I mean, the world that where it is today is really full of what we would call fixed function types of machines, where you've had machines that have been supplied by companies in these operational domains, in the industrial domains, the energy domains, it doesn't matter. We built devices to do certain th uh, functions in there. You know, and those devices have been absolutely more than good enough in terms of what they do and the way that they operate. But they're very limiting. 
They speak proprietary languages. They have proprietary integration of hardware and software. There's not so much a community or a village. It's basically, hey, I have a small holding. It's my house. And that's it. That's what it does. You know, and the way that customers would work within that environment would have to be a very close relationship with the person who provided that machine. And you'd have maybe an engineer that worked uh, on a local environment or maybe with an engineer that then worked in maybe the machine supply. And it would be a very tight relationship where they would work really around, hey, certain things are being generated out of the machine, whether it's alarms, whether it's messages, using spreadsheets and things like that to really do what I would call, you know, good analysis, but relatively basic. You know, capturing maybe less than 0.1% maybe of the data to tell them something that was going on in the machine. And, you know, and there was a lot of, you know, one of the things we talk about in, in the markets that I cover is experience, of course, you know, and you had system engineers and control engineers that have been doing this for many, many years. And their experience was as much about what they were learning as it was as to what the data told them. It was almost like the engineer knew what was going on and there's all the data were backed it up. So it was really a, a fusion of very basically knowledge in somebody's head by getting basic information out of the machine and trying to do it. So that's really the world of where we are predominantly today. And that's a big concern, of course, for a lot of companies right now. Systems are moving on, technology is changing and people are getting older. So we're seeing a huge transition of people out of the industry with that knowledge. Therefore, the way that we're doing things today, as much as it's driven by those geopolitical and those issues that we talked about earlier, it really is about, of course, I want to bring in new talent into the business and I need them to be accessing the information in those systems in a way that that new talent appreciates. So that's the way it's been done in the past uh, and predominantly is being done today. And we're really trying to supersize that as we go forward. Thank you, Ricky. Uh, I think you've summarized it beautifully on how customers even operate today in this world of massive technology refresh. Um, we're still stuck in the old way, and I think customers are being pulled apart between uh, should I just stick with what I know or should I pivot to the new world and then uh, start outcompeting my peers? I think the risk is if they, st if they just stick with the old way, the risk is being left behind and then um, ultimately uh, folding in as well. So that is that is a huge risk while there are significant upsides uh, from the digital side as well. Um, so so in what I would like to do now in the next question, Ricky, is as you've unpacked the situation that is currently happening now, the future state, as I mentioned, we're seeing automotive majors and other companies like even in the energy space building digital twin models of their physical operations. And they're streaming in real-time data from the physical operations and the physical assets to the digital model and then simulating and running what-if analysis and then exporting their key insights back into the physical world so that they could operate it at completely new levels that they were not really able to experience before. So in that, in that construct, how do you see Intel uh, playing? What kind of solutions and tool sets are you bringing forth to customers to operate seamlessly between the digital world and the physical world, Ricky? Yeah, no, a good, very good question, Ram. And digital twins are really a, 
a really interesting evolution of where manufacturing is going. You talked about uh, what are some of the car manufacturers and maybe we'll discuss that going forward. But what is Intel doing in this space? Well, you know, we talked about those legacy systems that really are predominantly fixed function appliances. So what we need to do is if we're going to provide an infrastructure that allows us to create a valuable digital twin model. A digital twin, when you talk about I'm going to reproduce what my factory does with data, needs a lot of that data. That goes back to why we want to run this compute at the edge. That needs powerful compute to do that. It needs a lot more interconnectivity between all of the systems that exist in that environment. How can they feed into that machine? So what Intel is doing is really building an infrastructure and an ecosystem to enable that data abstraction reliably, securely, safely, that when you get access to it and you put it inside that system, you've then got to run a lot of math in terms of uh, the work that's done around a digital twin model. And you're going to be doing that on data that's coming in in real time, as well as post-processed data as well, and in legacy environments and in new systems. So you can see this collage of data that's coming together to really start building those models together and, and allowing, you know, you mentioned the auto companies, any manufacturer that's got multiple facilities is really looking, how can they build a digital twin model together with their ecosystem partners built around Intel technologies that allows them to get efficiencies. I mentioned one of the things that we talked about in the first question was, you know, this evolution of workforce as we call it. So, you know, manufacturing needs to be optimizing for performance. It needs to be very aware of the talent that's coming in. So what Intel is trying to do is build an infrastructure, build a partnership, build that connectivity framework as well. You know, getting that data out requires connectivity. 5G is coming in. You know, we're seeing enhancements in Ethernet. We're seeing all sorts of new technologies in the connectivity world that requires applications and services that also coexist inside that framework. So I can run connectivity, I can run uh, operational workloads, I can run enterprise workloads that are generating that data that's then got to sit in some sort of data lake that then is going to be the accessible part for those digital twins. And then I want to share that digital twin across my environment. Let's take an auto manufacturer, for example. He may have 30, 40 manufacturing lines. He doesn't want to necessarily create a digital twin for everyone. What he wants to try and do is replicate that digital twin that represents across the factor. Intel's role in that is, let's put this together. We want safe, secure, reliable connectivity, making sure that OT and IT systems can coexist through workload convergence, virtualization, whatever you would is your uh, chosen term. But really it's about putting that infrastructure together with our partners so we can build the infrastructure that allows a digital twin to act in that environment and actually give reliable and informative data, whether it's to a manufacturer or an energy company or whoever the, uh, the company is that's involved. Thank you, Ricky. The analogies that you're mentioning is, uh, it makes me visualize a lot of things, what digital twin could mean to the manufacturing industries uh, as well. And, and you're right, like stitching the data fabric across different uh, manufacturing facilities and having new operating model, because the earlier days, as you know, best practices used to be shared in paper-based copies between factories. Yeah. But now if you have a digital twin model, you could, the, the time to bring a factory up and running 
to existing fa- existing standards of existing factories is very easy and um, it's quick on the feet it's quick to run it's quick to operate as well so efficiency at scale is what yep. intel does for your customers that's wonderful to hear so i, I would like to go into the last question for this chat uh, for this fireside chat on um, success stories like could you share some examples on um, what you've experienced with some of your customers around this uh, topic yeah and and again i'm just going to echo before we get to your question around as well you mentioned like the idea of paper copies and i thought that was quite funny really but very true which is you know you have many companies you have their different factories you know hey can you give arthur a ring i think he had that problem one there you know and that was the type of information that we share was about people sharing to people so of course now digital twin allows us to all share in a much uh, much more powerful way Let's talk about some examples, though, in terms of what companies are doing out there. Let's start from the basic one first about the use of data. And really, it's about fusing uh, compute into robotics. We actually showed a demonstration of this at Hanover Mess. We had a robot with a camera that was using data in real time to analyze what was going on on a, uh, in this case, a conveyor belt technology that could actually, hey, I can identify something that's on that conveyor belt and I can take an action in real time using vision data. So here we can bring vision systems together with another really exciting area, which is the rise in the use of robotics in manufacturing for all sorts of processes that robotics can do very well. But now I can fuse robots with compute. But I got robotic data, I got compute data coming back that's got to be hosted and analyzed into a uh, into a platform. So you can see we're bringing together that data capability, that way of sharing things between robots, sharing experiences, and then we can cut across. And then the last example I give, and unfortunately I can't give you the name of this company, but let's say it's one of the largest US-based manufacturers. You know, they're really taking a very proactive approach to this idea of digital transformation, particularly in the use of AI. And we've been working aggressively with that company and their ecosystem partners on how can they provide a digital framework of connectivity between all of their fabrics, not only in the US, but outside of the US as well. And that really loops back to enabling digital twins, asset management and asset tracking, you know, supply chain. How do I connect my consumers of my products that I'm manufacturing directly into my manufacturing environment through my digital twins or directly into my manufacturing. So, you know, we've been working with them on the use of AI. How do they abstract AI? How are they going to analyze that data? And how are they going to share that data? Again, safe, secure. So again, a really interesting example. Um, And watch this space as we go forward. We'll see something hopefully start to come out in the public domain. But it's a really interesting example of, as I say, a very leading manufacturer really embracing the idea of moving to industrial 4.0, but really focusing that around the first leg of the tree, which is data. And then for us, as I say, looking at the suppliers in that marketplace, robotics, whether it's robotics or control system suppliers, or even enterprise companies and bringing them into that uh, into that ecosystem as well. Thank you, Ricky. Uh, the robotic example really hit a home run because today what I see customers doing is they're fascinated with the aspects of different technologies hitting them, 5G, industrial internet of things, edge, edge analytics, and so on and so forth. So they're looking at, is technology convergence the panacea for all my problems? I really think customers should flip the equation and start looking at the workloads, as you say. The workloads are converging, 
and that's driving technology convergence because for example the robotic example that you gave really hit a home run with me for the primary reason is earlier you used to have a robotic arm then you have a plc which controls the robotic then you have a computer vision system which is a separate system so think of it this way in a small factory you need to have three footprint and where the footprints are expensive too but now with your example that what intel's bringing in is they're bringing all those three technology platforms into one device which is the robotic system and when that robotic system is virtualized that workloads convergence is driving the technology platform convergence too so that's really the beauty that i would like the audience to understand is don't start about technology because technology is already there start thinking about the workloads and start thinking about where do you want to compute the workloads and how you can converge the workloads that will give you the answer on what technologies you can converge on the same platform and then uh, just operate in a much more better way moving forward. I was going to say, I'd even enhance around what you just said with one just added, which is now we're seeing fixed robotics stuck together with moving robotics. So now I want to bring a moving platform with a fixed robot with a camera and that, oh, that moving robot is going to be connected using 5G technologies. So again, it's about the workloads, it's about the applications and all that technology underneath coexists to enable them. Great summary, Ricky. Thank you. Thank you again for joining in today. Thank you, uh, Ricky, for providing us with wonderful perspectives uh, yet again on this chat. Thank you and uh, look forward to uh, the next chat, which is we've saved best for the last. We talked about the edge marketplace with Ricky, and then we talked about uh, the importance of uh, the edge ecosystems. And subsequently, in the uh, next chat, we also talked with Ricky about um, the, to the topic on data analytics in the construct of open and secure communication standards. Uh, in the next fireside chat, which is where we've saved the best for the last, it's on what do you do with the analytics and what kind of new business models emerge from it. So that's what we'll be covering with Jonathan Lewis, again from Intel, uh, in the next and the last uh, series of the fireside chats that we're doing with Intel. So thank you again, and thank you, Ricky. Yeah.